You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. I'm going to start off with a question this morning. Uh, and the question is this. Have you ever been involved in a conversation some, with someone? And um, somewhere in the midst of that conversation, the person you're talking to responds to something you say uh, by saying something like this. Well, you know what the Bible says. And then they go on to offer some proverbial statement. And when they're saying it, when they finish it, you're going, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> God never said that. I think we've all encountered that. Um, so often we find ourselves, uh, we find other people attributing things to God that God never said. We find uh, people attributing things to the Bible that's not actually in the Bible. So with that, I thought I would begin with just a brief uh, Bible knowledge quiz this morning. Uh, you're going to take a test. I'm going to give you a, a five-question true or false. you got 50-50 here. True or false, uh, just to test our Bible knowledge. And it's, uh, the test is, did God say this? So you ready? Okay. Um, did God say, love your neighbor as yourself? Yeah, true. God said that. Mark 12, 31. Did God say, without faith, it is impossible to please him? Yes, yes true. Yeah, uh, Hebrews 11, chapter 6. Did God say that uh, money is the root of all evil? No, no, he didn't, right? He said, what? The the love of, you are good, you are so good. The love of money is the root of all evil, 1 Timothy 6.10. Did God say that cleanliness is next to godliness? No. no, that's false. He didn't say that. That's not in the Bible. And finally, did God say that God works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform? True or false? Wait, wait, wait. What did I hear? But it's false. Yeah, it, that's actually not in the Bible. Over the years, I've heard that time after time. But you know, when it comes, there might be concepts like that. But it's, it's actually not in the Bible, which just goes to show that there are some very popular one-liners that, uh, and these are kind of innocent. These are some examples of some innocent ones. But there are some popular one-liners that have often been attributed to God, but God never said that. And the problem is that some of them carry much more weight with them. And if they're accepted as truth, if they're accepted as a belief system, they can actually become very dangerous. Uh, they can get us off track. They can actually sabotage a, a belief system. Um, it's important that we understand that the source of our belief system can only be established on the person of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word. And that means that our belief system can't be established on what the culture around us says is truth, right? Because that's pretty messed up. And uh, truth can't be established or our belief system can't be established on what we feel like truth should be, right? Because that's kind of messed up sometimes too. Um, uh, uh, truth can only be established by the truth. Our belief system can only be established by the truth that God has already established in his word. You agree with that? Yes, so this morning we're launching into our second teaching series of the summer. It's a three-part series and it's called God Never Said That. And so today and in the following two weeks, we want to confront some of the uh, common uh, ways of thinking where people have attributed something to God that God actually never said. For instance, um, next weekend, we're going to confront the misbelief that says... Um, once I'm saved, when Jesus Christ is my Savior, it doesn't matter what I do. I can live my life any way I want to because I'm saved. I have insurance, kind of fire insurance, if you know what I mean. 
That, that, God never said that. And the final week, we're going to confront the truth that says everything that happens in life is based on your belief in yourself. In other words, you have to believe in yourself to make life happen. And guess what? God never said that. He, that's not in the Bible. We'll, we'll discover that. Well, what about today? What are we going to talk about today? Well, I thought before I told you, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a musical hint. You can watch the screens and you can listen and see if you pick up on what we're going to talk about. Today, we want to confront the truth that says, as long as I am a Christian, as long as I know Jesus Christ as my Savior, that God ensures that I will always be happy. God never said that. Listen, let me say it again. As the belief, the false belief that as, as, as long as I accept Christ as my Savior... As long as I'm in relationship with God, then I know that God says he will always make sure that I'm happy. And that, that's not true. In fact, this belief is one of the most popular beliefs of our watered-down Christian, uh, Western version of Christianity. Far too many people actually believe this. And maybe some of you right now are saying, what? I'm devastated. I thought that was the truth. I thought that God's chief aim and goal was to make sure that I'm happy. And now you're telling me that I'm not. And maybe it would be great. Maybe if I were to say, well, God's chief aim and goal is that you are always happy. God's chief aim and goal is that you never have anything bad happen to you. And God's chief aim and goal is that you always have good things happen to you. Wouldn't that be great? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we'll unfold that as we're, as we're, we're talking through the message. Listen, um, God's chief aim and goal is not to ensure that we are always happy. Maybe you're a student of the Psalms, though, and you're thinking, uh, what about Psalm 9712? Maybe you're frantically flipping to it, and someone is getting ready to read out of the Living Bible, and it says, uh, may all who are godly be happy. What about that? And it's true. It's in the Bible. May all who are godly be happy. Listen, here's the point. I'm not contending that God doesn't want us to be happy. What I'm contending is that God's chief aim and goal for our lives is not to ensure that we are happy no matter what. His, his, his chief aim and goal for us is something much greater. His chief aim and goal for our lives is that we would be conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ, his son, our savior. Let me say that again. God's ultimate goal God's chief above all aim for our life is that we would be conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. Um, if you recall in our destiny series in the first week, if you were here, we looked at Romans chapter 8 verse 29. And then I refer to it all throughout the series. And Romans 8 29 says that he predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God is all about. That's what God is going to ensure. That's what he wants for us. That's his ultimate goal and purpose. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want to read to you verse 15 and 16. I'll give you just a moment to get there. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15 and 16. 
Now your page is turning, so I'll pause. First uh, Peter chapter one, verses fifteen and sixteen. And here, here I go, beginning in verse fifteen. But just as he who called you is happy, so be happy in all you do. For it is written, be happy because I am happy. Is that what it says? No, it, it doesn't say that. So maybe I should read it again, right? So, uh, but just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Uh, listen, God's chief aim, his overall goal for our lives is that we would be conformed into the likeness of his son Jesus Christ and that we would be people as fully devoted followers of Christ who would be committed to uh, walking out the holiness that has already been placed in us through Jesus Christ. You see, happiness is very conditional. Happiness is dependent on the events, uh, the happenings going on in our lives. When things are going well, guess what? We're happy. When things are lining up, we're happy. When everything is just right, we're happy. But what happens when everything's not going well? What happens when things are going bad? What happens when everything's not lining up? What does happy do? Happy's gone. Happy can't be found. Happy's on a break. Happy's on a vacation. Happy went to somebody else's house. <laughs> not, not your house, though, because happy, happy's conditional. You've got you to gotta fuel happy. You've got you to gotta create something to keep happiness going all the time. Not so with holiness. Holiness, there is a condition to holiness. And holiness is through the faith that comes through Jesus Christ. But once we accept Jesus Christ as Savior and we're reconciled to God, at the very moment that we come into that relationship, we're, uh, we experience the new birth. We're, we're born again. Something happens inside of us. And what happens is that at that moment, God's holy nature is placed in us. So at that moment, you and I are declared holy. We're in right standing before God through Jesus Christ. By faith, we accept that. But not only are we declared holy, but then what happens as we submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit and God's holy nature in us begin to partner together and begin to work a transformation in us so that we're changing that we're, we're becoming conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That we're, and it requires that we submit to that process. We have to surrender to that process. But God's holy nature is in us. And so, and so holiness, uh, it's not a fair weather friend. When God declares us holy, he declares us holy. And we can trust in that. We can depend on it. Listen, happiness is not a wrong pursuit. It's just that happiness should not be our ultimate pursuit. We say that again. Happiness is not a wrong pursuit, but it should not be our ultimate pursuit. If we choose to believe that God's chief, above all goal and purpose for our life is to make us happy at all times, then we're in danger of falling victim to the uh, theology of happiness. To the theology of happiness. Let me tell you a little bit about the theology of happiness. If we believe that God's ultimate goal for our lives is to make us holy, then um, we begin to believe that whatever makes me happy must be right and whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. And we can't live our lives, we can't pursue, we can't, we can't be conformed to the image of, the, of Christ with, with that kind of mindset. 
But unfortunately, it's a mindset that is not just in the culture around us, but unfortunately, it's been able to creep into the church. And even as believers, too often we begin to believe that God wants me happy. And if I'm not happy, then that must be wrong. And if I'm happy, then this must be right. It becomes a means of, uh, of just justification. Uh, Cheryl Crow sang a song about it. She said, if it makes you happy, it must be right. And, and, and that, that says that uh, the most important thing in life is my happiness. Let me tell you a little bit more about the theology of happiness. If we believe that God's ultimate goal is to make me happy no matter what, without knowing it, uh, uh, we believe that discomfort, delay, suffering, inconveniences, obstacles, all of these things can't possibly be God's will. These things can't be God's will because they make me unhappy. So if there's bad things happening in my life, God has nothing to do with that because these things make me unhappy. Again, we can't live that way. Finally, if we believe that God's ultimate goal is to make me happy, then without knowing it, we begin to worship the gods of comfort and money and pleasure and things. It's so closely related to what we looked at when we looked at the life of King Solomon. Remember, when we looked at the life of King Solomon, we determined that his desires and his passions were so great that they overrode his passion to, uh, and his commitment to God. In other words, he put his own passions, desires, his own happiness above his commitment to God. And if we're not careful... And if we begin to buy into the theology of happiness, then we fall in danger of the same thing. We're seeking after what makes me happy. We're looking for happiness. And when uh, the bad things come, uh, when the delays come, uh, if, if, if it's not making me happy, then I'm going to chase after, I'm going to follow the God of happiness. This is, this is what I want because, again, my happiness is what's most important. And here's the problem with the theology of happiness. Um, when we accept, when we subscribe to the theology of happiness, believing that above all else, God's goal is to make me happy, then we begin to believe that God exists to serve us. And that's not why God exists, right? God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. So I was thinking about this this week. I, 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 I came up with this thought. Um, when we, uh, well, pursuing happiness, um, it, it's like we, when we think God that is there to serve us, it's like we make God our own Amazon happy account. We love Amazon, right? Amazon has changed the world. You do not have, to, how many people do most of their Christmas shopping on Amazon? Raise your hand. Yeah. Somebody sent me and said, oh, my shopping. Yeah, I mean, you can order toilet paper on Amazon and it'll be at your house the next day. Same day if you want to pay just a little bit more. I mean, Amazon, if you're uh, in the run. Uh, Amazon has changed. You got a little delay on that. Amazon has changed the way that we shop. But it's also become kind of a happiness tool. Picture this. Uh, you settle down for the evening. You've got one of your favorite shows on television. You're, you're reclining on the couch and you have your iPad. Uh, or maybe your phone, but your iPad so you can get a better view. And you're, you're sitting there and you're watching. And you've got, you got your iPad on your Amazon account. And you're watching your program. And you're... And suddenly it's more, oh, put that in my cart. 
Oh, yeah, that, put that, in, uh, that, that's the one, that's the one that's going to make me happy. When I get that, I am going to be so happy. And so you put in, uh, you put it in your cart, you submit your credit card information, and now Amazon is contractually obligated to give you, send you what you've asked for because you did your part, you paid. Here's a parallel. This is often what we do in our relationship with God when we're seeking happiness. We do something like, we, we, we create a formula with God. Um, God, I've done my part. Um, I went to church last month at the 8 o'clock service. And um, I, uh, I, I helped that little lady at the grocery store. I helped her put that little bag of groceries in her trunk. And um, I work in the parking lot at church once a month. And you know how hot it is at the parking lot, God. It's just so hot. And um, I give money. You know, I gave money. I gave actually a dollar to that homeless guy that was on the corner. You, you see where I'm going? So we say, God, I've done this. I've done my part. I've done this and this and this and this. And now you are contractually obligated to, in return, make me happy. Because you're there to serve me, God. And God never said that. That's not in the Bible. That's not a biblical truth. God is not there to serve us. We are there uh, to serve him. Um, let me talk a little bit more about this happy deceit, the tragedy of it. Uh, when we believe that above all else, God is to, to make me happy, then when life isn't happening the way we thought it would, we can fall into the danger of questioning or doubting God. Um, when, the, when, when we subscribe to the theology of happiness and things aren't going on our way, we, we say, God, you know what? Why? I, I've already told you all the things I do. Why would you let this bad thing happen to me? It's that old question. Why would a good God let bad things happen to, to good people? Because God, you want us to be happy. And so we begin, God, I'm just not sure if I can believe you and if I can trust in you because I want to be happy and you're bringing unhappy things my way. What's up with this, God? I, 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 don't, I don't understand this. And if we believe that above all else, God's there to make us happy, then when we don't experience happiness, uh, we become uh, disappointed with God. Oh God, I'm so disappointed with you because I prayed and prayed and prayed for that red convertible. I wanted it so bad and you didn't let my loan get approved at the bank. I mean, sure, my credit score was like 400 something, but God, I mean, listen, think about it. You're my magic genie in the bottle. I mean, you, you could have made them when they looked at my credit score, made it say 800 and something. You, you could have done, but God, I'm just so disappointed because you know the things I want that would make me happy. And you just don't seem to, you don't seem to come through. And then finally, and when we believe that above all that God's there to make me happy, we can begin to justify our wrong actions because after all, God wants me to be happy. And it might sound a little far-fetched, but I think this often happens, you know, um, in fact, uh, someone shared with me, reminded me of a, a this is a true story of a, uh, a, a man who, um, this, uh, I'm just, this really happened. I won't, it doesn't matter where it happened. Uh, a, a pastor met with a man who had decided to leave his wife for another woman. And uh, when the pastor talked to the man, he said, here's the deal. God wants me happy. So I'm going to go for the other woman. Do you see how 
We talk, maybe we're talking about some light things about his cleanliness next to godliness. But do you see how deep this can get? When we allow ourselves to just, when we're on that search for happiness. So how do we counteract the deceit? Uh, take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 2 through 4. I always pause, I just want to tell you, I always pause when I ask you to turn to the scripture because I think it's the greatest thing for you to actually turn to the scripture, whether you're going on your phone or whatever. Uh, and so when I hear those pages turning, I go, wait, somebody's digging in the word, we're going to wait. Okay, from James chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I think we like the last part of that verse, not lacking anything, because that equates to happiness. But then we look at words like uh, uh, when you face trials of many kinds, testing your faith, uh, perseverance. Those aren't words that we normally equate with with happiness. But what God's saying is, I'm more uh, interested in your uh, spiritual growth than I am your comfort or your happiness. Remember, his ultimate goal for our life is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's, that's what we're pursuing. And so what this verse, these verses are telling us is that God is at work, even in those most trying times of our life, building godly character in him as we submit to the process. He wants to do something. He wants to change us. Um, uh, we can trust that God uses times of mourning for healing of the soul. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn. They'll find joy. In other words, in those mournful times of our life, God can, when, when happiness seems to be far out of the picture, God can use those times to uh, change us, to, to restore us, to bring peace and comfort, which ultimately leads to a godly kind of happiness. And then finally, if you'll turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't find happiness in the verse, but I do find hope. Hope, God's hope through Jesus Christ is much greater than our pursuit of happiness because it fills the real void that we have in us. God promises joy, that settled state of commitment, confidence, and hope that comes from trusting Him. Um, I want to I close with this question, I guess. A couple of questions. Um, if, you were, uh, if you were at the at the beach, you were in a beach on vacation and uh, you were out in the ocean and you, you, this fish just swam up to you, a real large fish, and you said, you know, fish, I'm going to take you up here on the sand. I'm going to lay you up here. Do you think that that fish would be happy up on the beach in the sand? No. Well, what if you got the fish a lounge chair and something really cool to drink? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. No, he, he, he wouldn't be happy. Why? Because he couldn't breathe. He wasn't made for the beach. He was made to be in the ocean. He was made to be able to thrive in, in, in the ocean. Let me ask you this. If you had 
Everything that you thought that would make you happy, if you had it all, in the long run, would you be happy? Some are saying, well, I'd likely be willing at least to try. <laughs> the answer is, is, is no. And the answer is no because here's what. The, the new car smell, does it go away? Yeah, especially if you've got little kids, it's gone. Uh, the new house, uh, eventually the roof can re- leak in the new house and there are repairs that need to happen. Um, uh, the, the things that we think will make us happy, they don't have lasting value. And they won't make us happy because we weren't created for this earth. We were created for eternity. We were created for heaven. You see, so often we can fall into that trap of thinking that this is all there is. And so we try to get all we can. But when we think in terms of eternity, that now is just a dot in eternity. Because we were created for heaven. That's why Jesus said, store up for yourself treasure in heaven, not on earth. Because we're working towards our eternal home. And that's, I'll be honest, it's so easy to forget about that. It's so easy to get caught up in day-to-day life and forget about heaven. But we really are. We're just kind of passing through. We're preparing for the place that is being prepared for us. And so with that, it has to help change our concept of, of happiness. That God did not promise. God never said, I'm going to make sure you're happy all the time. But God does promise to work in us, to change us, to transform us into his image as we submit to the process. Would you stand? I want to pray for us. God, will you just help us get it? Will you help us to just fully grasp that we were created for eternity and that you're just allowing us to pass through here? We're preparing for our life to come. I pray that you would help any one of us who are trying to fill um, the, any void that we have with, with things. Um, with something that will, we believe will bring us happiness. It might be relationships. It, it could be a career. Uh, and, and God, we thank you that we can find joy and contentment in those things, but we know that it's not the ultimate source. And so I pray that you would help us be people who establish the truth of our life on the truth of your word and that we would be people who are committed to being formed into the image and likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. May that be first and utmost in our lives. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to do that thing which we struggle to do because we can only do it through you working in us. Father God, we offer ourselves to you. We surrender ourselves to you. And we just pray that in Jesus' name this work continue. We, everybody said, Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.